Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. This week, Pastor Paul shares from 1 Timothy chapter 6 with a sermon title of Legacy and Motivation. Let's listen in as he shares what the Apostle Paul is teaching Timothy in this moment. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. Let me, let me just remind you that every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. I pray with whoever would like to pray at, via Zoom. You're all welcome to join us. In order to get those invites, you need to be on our text list for prayer. And so you text the word prayers to that number that's on the screen right now to, to get those at, uh, early in the morning on Thursday. I'd love to have you join us. I have failed to mention in this setting that on Wednesday nights, I've taken a turn. We finished a book that we were studying earlier this fall, and we are currently studying on Wednesday nights a book called The Journey by a pastor named Adam Hamilton. And it's a, it's a look at some of the archaeological evidence that still exists surrounding the birth of Jesus. And there's, it's really interesting. He, he highlights pieces of the Christmas story that I was, I didn't know. He, he, this last week we looked at the story of Mary, and there's a little video that we looked at that included a look at a, a well, or a, not a well, but a spring, a, a running spring in the city of Nazareth that is traditionally believed to be the place where the angel appeared to Mary. Gabriel announced uh, to Mary that she would give birth to this special child. And so he highlights just pieces like that, archaeological pieces, findings, traditional beliefs about the Christmas story throughout this series. And I'd love to have you join us for that Wednesday evenings. That's our family evening, family night start at 5.45 with a meal in the fellowship hall. And then we break up in, uh, in groups from, for all ages. Reagan gave a great announcement this morning about small groups, and, and I have in my, in my notes a long announcement about small groups. I'll let what Reagan said uh, just stand, except let me add to it that we're already in November. We're already in mid-November. Let's just be honest with ourselves. The likelihood of starting something right now is, is small in our lives, right? Like, we're, we are all, we're all, we all have too much on our plate year-round, and then, like, once we get, next Sunday will be the last Sunday before Thanksgiving, right? And, like, this is, this is crazy time of year. Everybody, everybody knows it. So my challenge would be, consider in 2024, like, start thinking now, start planning now, how you are going to engage in Christian practices that are going to make you more attentive to God's Spirit at work in you. And so, that's my, that's my encouragement uh, I wanted to, to just say that before, before we get going. Now, I, our family, before we moved to Lewiston almost three years ago, we were serving as missionaries in, in Ecuador through the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene actually has like a 60-year history in the country of Ecuador. It was started, the pioneering work there in Ecuador started on the coast in a city called Guayaquil, which is actually the largest city in Ecuador. And then eventually, a lot of, a lot of missionary movement moved toward Quito, which is the capital and the second largest city. Quito is a lot more comfortable place to live. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but 
At 9,000 feet of elevation, it's like a perfect spring day, pretty much every day of the year in Quito, Ecuador. If you're ever looking for perfect weather, Quito is kind of the place to be. Uh, so for, for several years in the, in the late 80s or early 90s, maybe through the, through the 90s, the Church of the Nazarene used Quito as our headquarters for all of the work in South America. Our regional office and regional director for, for Nazarene missions was in Quito. And there was a regional director during that period of time named Louis Bussell. Louis Bussell is a name that a lot of people who have been around the Church of the Nazarene for years and years maybe recognize. He, he was a visionary, like 100%. Like as visionary as visionary goes... Louis Bussell is visionary, and he, at the time, the church was renting this little office building on the north end of the city, kind of out from the city, and there came available this plot of land that's like almost five acres, right on the Pan American Highway, and uh, right on uh, a major, a major boulevard through town. In those days, it wasn't like super populous out that far north of the city, but this weird shaped piece of land that Louis Bustle and, and like super contoured, like, like huge elevation change. But Louis Bustle, he, he was a visionary and he said, this could be a good investment for the Church of the Nazarene. And so he, he led an effort to purchase that land and then got work and witness teams to come and develop it. Our church took a work and witness team there in early, the early 2000s, like 03, 04, somewhere in there to build a communications building. That, that property is now the seminary uh, property of the Church of the Nazarene. It's where Alyssa and I, when we served as, as missionaries, we lived there for the majority of our time in Ecuador. We lived on that property. There's, there's a couple of big chapel buildings, and there's a, uh, there are dorms, student, student housing. There's a few buildings for for classrooms and offices, and then there's a, an office building there that was originally built to be the regional office. The region offices have kind of dispersed, moved and dispersed. They were in Argentina, and now they're kind of everywhere around the, around the continent, but uh, that building still serves as the field office for the, the North Andean field overseeing the mission work for Ecuador and Colombia and Venezuela. And that's the building that Alyssa and I had an office in and worked out of for, for most of the time we were down there. The, this, this campus is, is an incredible resource for, for the church. When, uh, when I was toward the end of our time as missionaries there, you know, I wore a bunch of different hats. And in the last year and a half, couple of years that I was there, I had the privilege, responsibility, of kind of overseeing maintenance for that property and overseeing a lot of the finances for the field. And so a property that large with as many buildings as it has, there's like always work to be done. Always, always work to be done. And we had this one little triangle of land on the, on the side that butts up right against the Pan American Highway. Like this is now, 30 years after Louis Bustle purchased this, that intersection where, where the uh, Pan American Highway comes into Quito proper now uh, is like one of the busiest intersections in the city. The, the Pan American Highway divides into three major boulevards that get you into the city right there. And there's a huge bus terminal. 
So right in that corner, that tri there's like a, just a little triangle of land, uh, and, and as the person who was overseeing it, it was just kind of a headache. It, it, was, it was too sloped and too close to that super busy intersection that like we would ever really think about doing anything with it uh, for, for the church. Like we need quiet space, right? We're building chapels and dorm rooms and classrooms. We, we can't be like on the busiest intersection in the country. That just doesn't work for the Church of the Nazarene. And we had some security issues. Like we have a fence all the way around the property, but that was a spot that you know, people like to throw trash in and people like to cut the fence and get onto our property in. And, and it was just kind of, it wasn't perfect. And then I, I got to thinking, you know, maybe if we, if we sold just that little triangle of land, I, I just had this idea, there's some other things that I'm looking at finances for, and maybe a few bucks would be kind of nice to, to work on some other projects. And, and so I called a real estate agent and I had a realtor come and, and look at it, and the realtor was very impressed, gave us an idea of what it would take to, to divide up the property to sell a, a little piece, and looked at the whole property and said, wow, you, you're sitting on a really, really nice piece of property here. You could get lots of money for that. And, you know, I was, I was a volunteer. I was very low on the, on the organizational chart here, so so I went to my boss who, who oversees Ecuador and Colombia and Venezuela, and I said, you know, this, this is something we could do, and it would solve some problems on that corner. It would solve some problems financially, and this is like maybe something we should consider. This is one of the moments when I'm most glad that I was very low in the organizational chart because my boss took this great idea that I had 30 years after this property was purchased by Louis Bussell, he went to our regional director and to a general superintendent who was overseeing uh, South America at the time. And, and uh, it just happened, and we should have known this, I should have known this, it just happened that our regional director at the time and the general superintendent who were overseeing it, they happened to be disciples of Louis Bussell. They happened to also be in like daily contact with Louis Bussell. And, and they received the idea of selling a piece of Louis Bussell's legacy. It went over like a lead balloon. Uh, let's just say, say that much. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a non-starter. And so uh, it, it, was seen, it was seen that any, any part of that property that, that, we, that we parted with, and this is the Church of the Nazarene, it would, it would limit the legacy of Louis Bussell. And these disciples of Louis Bussell, were, they loved Louis. They were never going to do anything that would tarnish his, his legacy. And so we looked for other solutions to, to solve the problems that were caused by that little triangle of land, and, and we moved on. Uh, but it was remarkable. It was remarkable to us to learn that the disciples of Louis Bussell were pretty serious about his legacy. And, and remarkably, both of these particular disciples uh, had moved up and, and were pretty important guys in the church. They're now both general superintendents in the Church of the Nazarene. And so his, his disciples and his, his fingerprints on the church, you know, he's got disciples all over and his fingerprints are, are pretty firmly on, on the church. Well, I, we turn to the Word of God today for, for wisdom for our lives. Uh, 
this, this fall, I've been digging through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. It's this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to his closest disciple, Timothy. The New Testament, as we read through the book of Acts and Paul's other letters, we find that Timothy is probably Paul's closest disciple. They do a lot of traveling together. Paul does a lot of kind of directing the travels of Timothy. Paul tells Timothy where to go, and he leaves him in sp certain spots on purpose. During the time that this letter was written, Paul, Timothy was overseeing the work in the church in the city of Ephesus. And last week, I looked at some of the problems that were, were happening in the church of Ephesus, particularly the issue of some false teaching. And, and I was drawn last week to Paul's focus on this idea of, of Christians living a godly life. Paul dove into the false teaching not by talking at all about the, the actual content of the false teaching. He, he dug into it by looking at the character of the false teachers. And the, the criticism that Paul could levy on these false teachers simply by their character, by the way they were living their lives, it was enough that Paul didn't feel like he needed to mention the content of their teaching at all. They were, they were obviously not teaching the truth because they weren't living the truth. And so the passage we're looking at today, it changes focus. Paul, Paul goes to talking more about his personal desires for Timothy and the way that he hopes Timothy will live. And again, I, I uh, go back to this idea, and I haven't touched on it much uh, in, in my preaching through 1 Timothy, but this letter is, Paul is late in life. And it's possible, it's just possible that Paul is thinking about his own legacy as he writes these words to Timothy. It's possible that, that he is, he's staring down father time. He's also staring down the, the possibility. We don't know exactly what Paul was, was experiencing in these moments. It's possible that Paul was facing down execution at the time. And, and Paul is giving these words to Timothy as, as wisdom for living and, and potentially living without Paul in the future. And so Timothy receives these words as, as important words as a disciple of a, a person who's, who's maybe writing some of, some of his last words to, to Timothy. So we'll, we'll dig into chapter 6 in 1 Timothy. I'm going to read for us... Uh, Chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Paul says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and, by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords, he alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Well, this thing we do with the New Testament is a little weird. Uh, I'll be honest with you. 
I've been preaching now for over two months from the letter of First Timothy. This I've spent like 40 minutes at least for two months every Sunday talking about this letter that can be read in about 20 minutes. And, and originally, if this letter was a part of, of Christian worship, it was probably, originally, it was intended to be read in its entirety, right? And, and Paul expected that somebody would just kind of like read through it. And in early Christian worship, that's what would have happened with Paul's letters. They would have been read in their entirety. Paul writes this letter to Timothy directly. It doesn't seem like when you know, he writes this to his, his own personal disciple, his own closest disciple. Doesn't seem like maybe Paul had intended that it be spread far and wide. Like maybe these words are specifically aimed at, at Timothy and not the whole church. But for whatever reason, in the early church, this letter was copied. It was copied and it was passed out and it was read widely. And, and through the reason it finds it we find it in the Bible today is because Christians throughout history have found hope and, and truth in these words. And so the, the letter was copied and copied and copied and passed out and spread around the church and, and it found, found itself to be authoritative for, for the early church. And, and so I've, I feel like a broken record though when I come to preach again from First Timothy and I say, well, in order to understand what we're looking at today, we got to look back. And, and this is another passage. Paul starts out with a but, right? The first word, but you, Timothy, uh, Paul is starting out, you, you, can't, you can't read that without trying to understand what came before. And, and once again, uh, Paul's words, you know, Paul, Paul has just finished diagnosing the character or kind of taking apart the character of these false teachers. He, in, in the passage we looked at last week, he talked about how they quibble over the meaning of words, how they stir up arguments that divide the church, they cause trouble, and then they seem to be motivated, their motivation for being teachers is to, to get money. They want to get money from it. In the passage we looked at last week, Paul, Paul highlighted the trap that fixation on wealth can, can lead to. And, and Paul says, but you, Timothy, but you, Timothy, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. And, and Paul identifies Timothy that way, recognizing what's coming, who you are, is going to be in contrast to what those false teachers have, have been doing. The way you live is going to look different from the way these people who quibble over the meaning of words look. And, and Paul, Paul says, don't let those traps don't let those traps be any part of, of your life. Don't let those traps be anything that suck you in. He says, run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness in a godly life, along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Now, sometimes the answer is to run, right? Sometimes in, in life, there are times when, when the answer is run. If, uh, you know, the gas just got turned on. If it starts to smell like gas, we're going to run. In an orderly way, of course. Uh, but we, you know, sometimes the answer is run. If the building is on fire, if, the, if you're under, under a surprise attack, you know, sometimes the answer is, is run. 
the temptation that, that we have in our spiritual life when, when we think about the, the traps that Paul has talked about in the passage we just looked at, the, the temptation for, for us morally and ethically, sometimes it is to simply make prohibitions, to say, run, run from it. We tell our kids, don't you, <laughs> don't hit your sister. We, we say these, these things, we make prohibitions, we say run from the bad thing, run from the evil thing. Paul, very wisely here, he tells Timothy, run from the traps, but he doesn't leave Paul with only prohibitions. He doesn't say, he doesn't leave Timothy with only prohibitions. He, he says, Timothy, pursue a right life. Yes, Run away from, from all of the things that are going to take you off track spiritually. But don't just run from them aimlessly. You know, aimlessly running about, that's not going to solve any problems. What you need to do is you need to fix your eyes on God. You need to fix your eyes on righteousness and a godly life, and you need to pursue those things. And so he, he says, Pursue righteousness in a godly life. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tight to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. This isn't anything new that Timothy is going to be doing. This is the life that Timothy has been living, but he needs to, to fix his eyes on it. He finds himself, Timothy finds himself in an environment where there are a lot of people teaching things that sound pretty interesting. There's a lot of people teaching about things that are natural traps for humans. They're talking about wealth in a way that's pretty alluring. They're talking about, about these things that get us off track spiritually. They're, they're trying to suck us into these arguments about words. Man, we love to argue about the meaning of words. That's so much fun. Let's just argue for just a little bit about the meaning of... And, and Paul says, don't fall for the trap. Pursue righteousness and godliness. There's, there's an expectation here, Timothy, that it's not going to be easy. Paul says, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight to keep your faith. The, uh, this, is, this is going to, to form Timothy into the type of person who can preach the good news. Because just like the, the character of the false teachers was enough to prove their teaching wrong, if Timothy is pursuing righteousness and godliness, if Timothy is fighting the good fight of faith, if, he, if he's living, uh, clinging tightly to eternal life, which God has called him to, then Timothy's character is going to reveal that what he teaches is true. Good, good, good theology leads to good ethics, right? Good living comes out of a right understanding of the gospel. Paul, Paul is telling Timothy, if we, if we cling to God, if we, if we look to live that godly life, our teaching is, is going to be, to be right. If we, if we look to understand carefully what, what Jesus came to teach us, if we live what Jesus came to teach us, we are going to live right. Uh, 
Good theology and, and, and right living, they, they walk hand in hand. And so just like the character of the false teachers was enough critique of their teaching, Timothy could live in such a way that people wouldn't be able to argue with, with his teaching. And so surely Paul is, is giving this command, this instruction, uh, so, so that Timothy would live in a way that, that contrasts the false teaching, right? He wants to make sure that, that Timothy's life is an open contrast. People in the church are going to look at Timothy and look at the false teachers and they're going to say, one of these things is not like the other. And, and Timothy's, Timothy's life is going to, to show something different. But Paul, Paul doesn't mention the false teachers, right? In, in all of this about, about Timothy, Paul is only talking about Timothy. He, he's not talking about anybody else. He seems to be telling Timothy that to live, to live in a way that will bring honor to God regardless of what's going on around him. Right? These are, in, Timothy, these are instructions to you. Yes, you are living in an environment that is full of false teaching and full of traps that can take you away from God. But regardless of where you find yourself, run from the traps that, that will take you away and pursue righteousness in a godly life. Don't, don't fall for the traps that are prevalent and easy to fall prey to. Fight the good fight. It's going to be work. It's going to be work. Expect that in every environment you are in, it is not going to be, to be simple. These are easy words to say, right? These are easy words. It's easy to say pursue, pursue righteousness in a godly life. It's not necessarily easy in practice all the time. Not necessarily easy for us. But I've mentioned that Paul, Paul is considering his legacy as he writes this letter. It, it seems possible, it seems possible that Paul sees Timothy's life as a continuation of his legacy. If Paul doesn't explicitly mention that specifically in this, this passage. But if we're looking carefully at the history of the New Testament, if we're looking at the way that Timothy and Paul are kind of conjoined throughout the New Testament. And Timothy's the younger brother. Timothy is the true son, as Paul calls him in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We understand that as Timothy's life goes, so goes the legacy of Paul. Timothy, Paul is investing in Timothy for Timothy's sake, right? Paul's, Paul never seems to be like super instrumental. He's, he's not like, saying, Timothy, you better, you better make sure people talk good about me by the way you live, right? That's not what Paul is doing. But Paul is investing in Timothy for the sake of the church, for, the, for this thing that he has invested himself in so much. Paul, is, Paul knows that he has to leave good leaders in charge. He has to have disciples like Timothy who are going to carry on the work after he can't anymore. And so as we read Paul's writings, uh, especially these letters from, from late in his life, and Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners, like he says in chapter one, we, we can't believe that Paul is, is only investing in Timothy for, for Paul's legacy. But, but Paul, Paul is, understands that he's got to leave something behind. 
And you have to imagine, you have to imagine that Timothy kind of senses some responsibility in Ephesus for Paul's sake, right? Like Paul, Paul had put so much into this church that now Timothy finds himself leading. You kind of think, Timothy kind of wanted to keep things going. Kind of like Christian Sarmiento wanted to hold on to a piece of property in Quito to keep the legacy of Louis Bustle alive. It, it, it wasn't anything that Paul was, was putting pressure on Timothy for, but man, Timothy, Timothy probably sensed. For the Lord's sake, for Paul's sake, let's keep, keep doing this. And so when we, when we look at Paul's life, his investment, not only in Timothy, we see it throughout the New Testament, Paul's investment in the next generation of leaders. We, we have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, are we living in a way that makes others want to protect our legacy? Or is, is the life that we are currently living, leaving a legacy that is worth protecting? And then, and then are we investing in others in a way that, that they can't help but carry on the legacy that we are leaving? Are we so deeply invested in other people that every once in a while they hear our words coming out of their mouths? Uh, it's interesting as a parent, sometimes you hear the, your words coming out of your child's mouth, don't you? Is that legacy that we're leaving with our kids, with others, with other believers? Are, are we leaving words that we want to hear coming out of their mouths? Paul, Paul doesn't seem to motivate Timothy by thinking about Paul's legacy, but he does have some other ideas about why Timothy might want to live in a certain way. In, in verse 13, he charges Timothy before God and before Jesus. These like super powerful words of, of charge you before God who gives life to everybody and Jesus who gave a good testimony. And then in verse 15, he says that Timothy's, or verse 14, excuse me, uh, he says that Timothy's obedience will keep anyone from finding fault with him. Timothy... Timothy is stepping into some hard situations here. Timothy is Paul's designated agent to deal with the false teaching. If you're going to take that kind of role, if you're going to take the role of, of standing up and saying, excuse me, but these gentlemen are not teaching correct doctrine, just look at how they're living, you better be living a life that is kind of beyond those same accusations, right? Timothy, Timothy needs to live a godly and righteous life in order for, for him to be above all of the kinds of accusations that Paul is making about the false teachers. He's, he's going to be the public face of this. He, he needs to be beyond reproach. And, and so Paul wants Timothy to be able to withstand anyone looking to find fault in him. And Paul doesn't, doesn't want people finding fault in Timothy. He says, from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Uh, at no time, Timothy, are you allowed to let your guard down. At no time does this command 
end. There is never, never a circumstance under which Timothy can stop fighting the good fight or stop pursuing godliness or stop fleeing from evil. Timothy is supposed to keep doing these things until the end of time. Then the letter takes this kind of U-turn, or not U-turn, just left turn. Paul's been giving instructions to Timothy. He mentions Jesus. He mentions the idea that Jesus will come again. And all of a sudden, Paul says, wait a minute, we got to stop and praise Jesus. <laughs> he, 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 he interrupts himself. For, for a moment of praise. And, and so he inserts this, this praise. He says, at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Paul just gets carried away. He gets exuberant. He, he mentioned that Jesus is coming back at some point, and he says, wait a minute, we got to praise Jesus. And so he, he gets so excited thinking about this, he, he puts in this, this poem. Paul does this at times in, in his writings. Sometimes we think that they're probably hymns that the early church sang to one another in, in their worship. Uh, we don't know if this came from early church worship or if this is just something of Paul's invention, but he, he has to worship. He can't keep talking about even living a godly life. Like, this is the most important thing Paul writes about. He has to stop in the middle of it to say, wait a minute, let's praise Jesus. I, I imagine that Paul didn't only do this in his writings. <laughs> I imagine that Paul is the type of person that every once in a while you would be having a conversation with him. He would mention, oh, uh, Jesus, Jesus has died on the cross for us. And then he would just burst into song and just sing a little. That's not me. I'm, you're welcome. I won't sing a song for you this morning. But every once in a while, Paul just couldn't help himself. He couldn't contain his love for the Lord, and he had to express it. He had to get it out. And, and so Paul is, is just the type of person who is always looking for a reason to praise Jesus. And, and here, just the mention, just the mention. Fight the good fight until Jesus comes again. Hey, Jesus is coming again. Let's sing a song, shall we? Paul, Paul just can't help himself. He gives us such a good example to live by, right? This is, this is something, this is a cue I've tried to pick up from, from the Apostle Paul. Uh, one, one of the ways that I, I try to do this, I just try to, to make it a part of my regular vocabulary. You know, sometimes people tell you something and they say, and, and it'd be easy to respond, oh, wow, that was really lucky, or man, that, how fortunate my my response in those times, if I'm thinking carefully, I, I like to say just praise God. And if you if you give me a compliment, uh, often my response I, I try to make my response if it's not too weird, praise God, uh, because you know if I deserve a compliment, praise God, right? Uh, when when uh, when something good happens, I want to remind myself. You know, people that I'm talking to may never even. It may never register. It's just like a pastor being really spiritual, right? But it, it reminds me that I don't believe in luck, right? That I believe that God is working 
in all things for the good of those who love him. Just like we sang this morning, he's working all things together for our good. And so when something good happens, praise God. Praise God that it was 50 and 60 degrees this week when we didn't have heat. Right? Praise God that, that the sun is shining and, and can warm us. Praise God that we are here today fellowshipping and, and opening God's word. And praise God that maybe, maybe there's some light in, in this word for us. I, I believe... I believe that this is a pattern that Paul is laying out for us. Maybe unintentionally, probably unintentionally. This idea that when we, when we have a thought about the goodness of God, we just give voice to it. We just, we just say it rather than, than stuffing it down. We let it come out. And so I wonder, I wonder about you. I wonder how you will remind yourself this week to live in the way that, that you know uh, that, that your words will reflect the way you want to live and the character that you want to show. And I wonder, I wonder when, when we think about Paul and, and the way that his life speaks to us, we think about Paul's legacy still in the church, still influencing us, still informing us, still guiding us to truth. Paul, Paul had to live a life before Timothy and his followers, that they wanted to preserve his writings, that they wanted to, to continue to, to use his letters as, as authoritative. It wasn't just that Paul was a good author. It wasn't just that Paul was, was right about a few things. It was that Paul had to have lived what he taught and what he wrote about. Just like he encourages Timothy, you're going to wade into some hard issues, Timothy. You're going to have some, some hard conversations, and you are going to live in a world surrounded by traps that will try to take you off base and away from your faith. But Timothy, live in such a way that honors God. We, uh, we also ought to remember that we live in, in the same kind of environment. Paul speaks to his own closest disciple here, but he speaks directly to us. How, how are we guarding our reputation and our legacy? And then if we're going to follow the example of, of the Apostle Paul, we need to ask, who is watching? Who's watching and who are we bringing along? Who are we investing in so that our fingerprints are all over the next generation. They can't help but hear our words come out of their mouths. And Louis Bustle, he's, he was like super direct. He, he is a no-nonsense dude. He's, he's still around. Uh, he is a no-nonsense dude. His style didn't always fit with everyone. He, he turned some people off. Um, but even as, as direct and no-nonsense as he was, there's there's just no doubt in my mind that he, uh, his, his disciples love him. <laughs> He's not calling people that are in influential places in the Church of the Nazarene today and saying, you make sure my legacy is preserved. You don't let any whippersnappers sell that property. In no, that's not coming directly from him. That, not at all. It's that he is loved by the people he has invested in. 
And so who, who are we investing in that deeply? Who, who are we bringing along in our life of, of discipleship? Who are we letting in close enough to see us in, in those moments when we can't help but praise God? Who, who are we letting in close enough to see in those moments when, when people would say, and there's no praise coming in that situation, to see how we handle the stress and difficulty that we face? How are, how are we passing on a legacy that's worth living into? Well, these are hard questions. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord and, and ask for guidance as we consider. Lord, we come to you from, from studying this letter from the Apostle Paul, thanking you. Thanking you for, for a man you used to shape the traje- trajectory of the church for now 2,000 years. Lord, Paul's fingerprints are all over us, especially the more we get immersed in, in the word, the more we hear from you through his writings, the more we become a reflection of the type of faith that he lived, and we thank you. We thank you for this man that you met on the road to Damascus, and you turned him around. You changed the course of his life by having a powerful encounter with him. We thank you and praise you. We pray, Lord, that our lives would be worthy of his legacy. But we ask, God, that you would help us to consider the life that we are living. We ask, God, that you would help us to to think longer term than than even this week or, or the rest of this year or even next year, that you would help us to consider who we can invest in, how we can live a life worth repeating, how we can, can continue a legacy of faith that will endure for generations. We believe, I, I believe, Lord, that it starts with us fleeing from all of these traps, fleeing all these things, and us pursuing a godly life. And so, Lord, we, we invite you by the power of your Spirit to move in our hearts, to help us pursue Jesus. Help us pursue a life that is formed by his love at work in us. Help us, Lord, pursue righteousness, goodness, that our pursuit of these good things, Lord, uh, would, would just kind of spill over on the people around us. But don't let us, Lord, be content with just spillover. Lord, help us to intentionally invest in those of the next generation or of our own generation, Lord, the, those that we can bring along in this journey. Lord, we, we know this life of faith, it can't happen alone. We need one another. So God, we, we ask that you would, you would help us to walk in community, walk with one another in a way that our lives will impact those who follow us. 
We need the power of your spirit to do it. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, move in us, work in us, we pray. Thank you, God, for the, for the promise of your word that you, you have not abandoned us. You will be with us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would go with us into this week. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me and let me send you out with Paul's words here. These are verses 13 and 14. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault in you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God bless you as you go. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.